a, a short journey through church history would show just how much this ragtag religion has been continually transforming since its conception. Um, you don't have to go far from Pentecost to see radical change, let alone fast forward a little more than 200 years to find that the movement transforms from being a persecuted faith to being in the inner circle of the Roman elite. Um, being in the midst of necessary change can be exhausting. It's certainly much easier to be the inheritors of it. So besides writing an entire book about it, what, what's your wisdom to those that are facing that uphill climb of the next reformation of Christianity, if you will? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter, so each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host, and this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Trip Hawthorne, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF Podcast Conversation is Brian McLaren. McLaren is a former pastor and now an author, speaker, and activist who has penned countless highly regarded works, such as Faith After Doubt, A New Kind of Christianity, Everything Must Change, and The Great Spiritual Migration. He has a new book, Do I Stay Christian? Brian, thank you for joining the conversation. Always good to be with you, Andy, and always good to be with my good friends at CBF. So we last had you on the podcast. Uh, it was March of 2020. Um, anything of note that's happened in your life and world over the last two plus years? Oh, my goodness. So we talked right at the beginning of the pandemic. So, uh, yeah, my life has been 
like everybody's uh, disrupted a little bit because of the pandemic, but um, you know, survived amazingly well and lost some dear friends due to COVID-19, um, partly because of the age I am, you know, a lot of my friends who are a few years older were in that high risk category. Um, but uh, a big part of my life has been focused on this book, Do I Stay Christian? And continuing the work I do with the Center for Action Contemplation and some other projects I'm involved with. Well, you certainly stayed busy as a person who follows your work closely. Um, it didn't seem like there was a lot of downtime for you when all of us were staying at home or our lives were disrupted. I jokingly say that uh, for during the pandemic, I, I probably worked harder than I worked for the couple of years before. Um, uh, it was just all on, on Zoom and um, a lot of it without pay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, I get, you know, this is like, downside of Zoom is it's like, hey, we've got you. you. We don't have to pay you to fly out here. You know, it seems like a basic <laughs> exchange. Well, please tell me you did get some good, uh, good fishing in during the pandemic. Uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I did. Um, but, uh, but then it was just weird to watch how fast the months flew by because, because of other things going on. Well, you certainly have been busy. Um, you have a new book, Do I Stay Christian, in which you invite readers to explore an honest, responsible, and ethical examination of religious identity. You wrote, I'm not writing this book to convince you to stay Christian, nor am I writing this book to convince you to leave the Christian identity behind forever. Instead, I want you to think through the questions of retaining and shredding Christian identity with you looking over my shoulder. And what I want us to consider is how we are going to live, whether or not we identify as Christian. Walk us through the, the conceptual vision behind this book. Yes. So the, the, the need for the book, as I'm sure you see, Andy, is the stage is set by large numbers of people dropping out of Christian faith. Um, you know, the, the stereotypical... Uh, answer is that people are, are becoming spiritual, but not religious. And it's not just they're, they're delusion, disillusioned with church. It's that the, there are elements of the Christian faith that have become highly problematic for more and more people, including really surprising numbers of clergy. The number of clergy who uh, are, th their reason for wanting to leave ministry uh, it is in part connected for many with real deep questions about the Christian faith. So that sets the stage for, for the problem. And so, um, and in my, in my own life, I've, this has been a question I've struggled with since I was a teenager, really. And, uh, and I, and as a pastor, I, I had people coming with these kinds of questions constantly. And in my years since leaving the pastorate, I have, so many conversations along uh, around this question. Uh, so what I wanted to do in the book is in the first third of the book, I wanted to take the no answer really, really seriously. Um, and I, I structured those 10 chapters around what I consider 10 very strong reasons for leaving Christian faith, uh, leaving uh, uh, identifying as a, uh, as a member of the Christian religion, if I can say it that way. Um, and at the end of those 10 chapters, I think a lot of readers would think if that's all the book was, they would think, wow, he really is against people staying Christian because I want to take those, those objections seriously. Um, and then 
but I felt at the end of those 10 chapters that uh, if anyone is going to stay Christian going forward, um, they need to take those 10 issues seriously. And so the second 10 chapters are, are there reasons to stay Christian uh, even with your eyes wide open to those first 10 chapters. So the second part of the book is called, Yes. Uh, yes, I will stay Christian, and here's why. Um, here's, here's how I can uh, uh, justify that. Um, but then at the end of that section, I realized that a lot of people, are, are, they're either going to stay Christian or not, uh, whatever anyone else says. And that raises the question, well, how are we going to live? What kind of Christians are we going to be? And if we're not going to be Christian, what kind of humans are we going to be? And that really shapes the last third uh, of the book. So um, I, I, I think this book could be helpful for people who are thinking about leaving the faith and need a good reason to stay. And I think it could also be helpful for people who are totally happy staying Christians, but they have children or friends or colleagues or relatives who are thinking about leaving, and they just want to better understand uh, why why they're leaving. A simple Google search of the name Brian McLaren uh, would would bring some folks into recognizing you have quite a few detractors in your many years of pastoring and writing. And you know, for oftentimes it's folks taking cherry picking something you might say or an argument you're trying to make completely out of context or not with the full context. So one of the critical aspects of this book is understanding Christian identity because it's, it's critical to understanding what you're trying to convey in the book. So what do you mean by Christian and what do you mean by Christian identity? Yeah, that's just exactly one of the, the problems. In, in the, uh, near the beginning of the book, I, I basically say, look, uh, the word Christian now is defined so differently by different people. Um, and, and the definitions that some people are very proud of are super problematic for other people. And so um, that's really a starting point problem for, for the book. For example, what, what I, or, uh, it, it's a starting point problem, not only for the book, but for an awful lot of our lives. Um, and so you could define Christianity historically or culturally as a historical lineage that you are born into or that you intentionally choose to associate it with. It could be defined institutionally as a set of authority figures and institutions that you're part of. It could be defined doctrinally as a set of beliefs you subscribe to. That's really what I was brought up believing. Um, uh, that Christianity was essentially a doctrinal system that you assented to or not. Um, uh, it could be defined liturgically or pragmatically as a group of rituals or holidays you follow. It, it could be described experientially as some spiritual experience you've had. Um, and, uh, and I won't even, you know, go through all the rest, but there are all these different, different definitions. And part of what's happening, I think, is that more and more people are looking at how the the Christ, how Christian identity is wielded almost as a political weapon by many people, and um, and they're saying, "Gosh, I'm just uncomfortable with it." And if I'm going to stay, I better figure out what I mean by the term. Now, if you're asking me, Andy, how I would define it, um, well, part of what I'm trying to do in the book is helping people just realize that that's that each of us is going to have to become a little more self-conscious about how we define it. 
Um, but for me, uh, the, the essential identity, what should be the essential identity of being Christian is that we actually think Jesus was right and worth following, and we're endeavoring to do that in our lives. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those definitions uh, can, can leave Jesus pretty much out of the equation. To a certain extent, um, you know, this is a journey of your own challenges of faith. Talk to us about yes. your struggles with your Christian identity over, over the years and, and what helped you rethink it. Yeah, but, well, really one of the very first for me was as a, as a kid, you know, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, uh, when I became interested in evolution. And I was told by a Sunday school teacher when I asked about evolution and reading the book of Genesis, literally, my Sunday school teacher just said very matter of fact, matter of factly, not with any threat, or it was just as obvious as could be to him. Oh, you can either believe in God, or you can be believe in evolution. Um, and it was just this either or choice. And I remember thinking at that point, I, I think evolution makes a lot of sense is he telling me I can't believe in God? Maybe that means I'm going to have to stop being a Christian as soon as I'm old enough to make my own choices. So that started pretty young for me. Um, I think what's really, uh, and as I went through my own journey, my uh, I grew up fundamentalist. And when I identified more as an evangelical, evangelical meant something that had a lot more freedom than fundamentalism. But right at the time I was making that conclusion, I think in many ways, and of course, people in the CBF world know this from their own experience, that evangelicalism became taken over by its most fundamentalist wing. And so one of the struggles I think that people have with Christian identity, is it possible to be a Christian without being a fundamentalist? And what, is that, what does that look like? And what would that mean? And, uh, and interestingly, parallel conversations are happening in Catholicism. And we've seen even since the invasion of Ukraine, how there are similar battles going on in Eastern Orthodoxy right now, where some Orthodox, uh, for example, a Russian Orthodox bishop has pledged his fealty, at least publicly and so far, to Vladimir Putin and linked the work of Vladimir Putin to the work of the Russian Orthodox Church. And the mission and values of the church. And many of us have felt similar things happening here in the United States during the Trump years and so on. So all of this is throwing religious identity into a, uh, a, a crisis for many of us. And I think that what could come out of this is many of us taking this question seriously and decide if I am going to stay Christian, I'm going to be clearer uh, of what I mean uh, by that. That's certainly been my experience through the years. In many regards, uh, this is a continuation of your last book, Faith After Tao, which examined yes. the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction. Help us bridge the connection between uh, that book and this book. Yes. So in Faith After Doubt, I tried to synthesize a number of different theorists on human development, stages of faith development, stages of intellectual development, and I, I offered a, a four-step, a four-stage uh, model of faith development that um, offers enough nuance, I think, to, to be helpful, but isn't overly complicated. 
And uh, the, the, those four stages from faith after doubt are simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. And I think a way to describe how faith after doubt and do I stay Christian link up is that in, for an awful lot of people, when they enter stages three and four, complexity and harmony, it's very hard for them to find a Christian community that welcomes them and understands them and even considers their, their form or expression of Christianity to be legitimate because so many of our religious, so many of our denominations are dominated by uh, Christians in simplicity and complexity. So you might say it this way, that if you're in simplicity and complexity, you don't have great struggles of Christian identity. But as soon as you enter perplexity and you move into harmony, now, now those struggles become more real. And I think you could say that, that do I stay Christian is in some ways a, an invitation to people in stage three and stage four to say, uh, I'm allowed to be a Christian and I'm allowed to be a Christian on stage three and stage four terms. Not all of us are obligated to submit to the requirements of Christians in stages one and two. For many faith traditions, not just Christianity, there is a, a crisis of identity when someone comes to terms with the great, great contradictions of the teachings of one's faith to the actions of the faithful, if you will. Um, for example, Christianity's long legacy of violence and subjugation of non-Western people groups, persons of yes. color, women, and members of the LGBTQ plus community. So how does one separate the identity of the person of Jesus and his invitation into a new way of thinking and living with the Christian institutional religion and the culture of the past and present? You know, really, Andy, it was learning uh, Christian history in more depth uh, that really liberated me um, to write these last two books. Because one of the things when you study Christian history, you learn is that the Christian faith has evolved over time. Sometimes it's changed, we might agree, for the better. Um, other times it's had some pretty dark chapters. Uh, one of the painful things in writing this book was telling people the truth about, for example, Christian's history of anti-Semitism, which is not over because there is a resurgence of white Christian nationalism and white Christian supremacy that has a vicious anti-Semitic uh, edge to it, as we saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, just a couple of years ago. And as we continue to see um, in uh, this right white Christian nationalism that's having this strong resurgence uh, really uh, around uh, Donald Trump is an almost messianic figure. Um, uh, and when we see that the Christian faith has had these ugly turns in its history, and then has had these beautiful rebirths um, in, in our history, I think what it does is it, it, it complexifies our faith because we can't just say, oh, we Christians have always been good. Uh, we have to acknowledge, no, we've done some terrible harm. And then we realize, and our worst harm could still be ahead of us. And when we realize that, I think it energizes us to say, 
I have to use my little stake in the Christian religion. If I'm going to stay Christian, I have to use my stake, my little footprint to try to help us move in a more generous and, and loving uh, direction going forward. And that's the sense of, I think, both responsibility and liberation and, and freedom and empowerment that, uh, that I hope people will feel uh, as they read this book or hear about it and engage with its ideas, even if they don't read it themselves. There's a fascinating chapter in the book entitled because leaving hurts allies and helps their opponents. You're right. For, for, for those that grew up in the institutional faith tradition that no longer hold, um, the integrity between Jesus way and teachings and the church's action stances today, it's, it's, it's easy to walk away. Um, but yeah. to stay, to rethink and reimagine something different might actually bring about real change. So first, why is staying so difficult? I think um, it's, it's interesting. I can imagine the way that folks who have a Baptist heritage would face this with Baptist identity. And then the way that people with an evangelical heritage would face it with that identity or a Protestant heritage would face it with that, or a larger Christian identity. Uh, Catholics would face it in their own way. Um, and staying often feels difficult because it is humbling to have to admit association with people who you feel are doing ignorant, uh, dangerous, harmful things, doing and saying things that are could really harm others. And, um, and so that's a struggle. But here's the thing I realized more deeply <laughs> as I wrote this book. I feel this as a Christian, right? I feel this as an American. And then when I think about the environmental crisis, I feel this as a human, right? Because the human species is doing such destructive things to this, to this planet right now. And, and so then when you realize that if you keep trying to separate from anything that you consider uh, beneath you or anything that goes against your own personal uh, values and morals at this moment, you realize that you'll end up in a very small uh, uh, circle of one <laughs> um, looking down on and condemning everyone else. And that's something that if I were in that small circle of one looking down and condemning everything else, I'd be ashamed to be part of that as well. And I think that is actually a deeply spiritual moment when we realize that we are inextricably connected with others uh, in our religion, but also in our country and in our economy and in our civilization. That in a profoundly spiritual way brings us to a deeper level of solidarity and community uh, with everybody. So we recognize how difficult it is to stay. Um, but I guess the second part of that question is, how have you seen staying bring about real transformation? I think we're at a moment when how we stay or how we leave is as significant as whether we stay or whether we leave. Let me say it this way. If people stay, and they're silent when ugly and harmful things are being done. 
in a sense, their staying is a stain of complicity. I think there's a way of staying that allows us to raise our voice and to speak up and to refuse to be silent and compliant with things that are wrong. And we then become agents of change. Our very presence uh, in resistance and in offering creative alternatives becomes a catalyst for change. I think there's a way of leaving. I think some people, if they leave either silently or angrily and viciously, their, their leaving either has no effect or ends up feeling like an insult to the people who stay so that they just dig in their heels and even feel more righteous in staying the way they are. I think there are ways of leaving where people can leave with such a clarity of the reasons for leaving and simultaneously graciousness that makes those who remain after they leave say, I hate to lose him. I hate to lose her. Uh, maybe they're right. Maybe there really is something wrong. I frankly feel that so many young voices are ignored. And in a way, as they leave, the older people are left to say, do we really want to keep leaving brilliant young voices like those who are leaving? And, and in, so both those who leave and those who stay, I think, can have a role in bringing about change to, as long as they do it in a, a creative and effective way. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. A short journey through church history would show just how much this ragtag religion has been continually transforming since its conception. Um, you don't have to go far from Pentecost to see radical change, let alone fast forward a little more than 200 years to find that the 
movement transforms from being a persecuted faith to being in the inner circle of the Roman elite. Um, being in the midst of necessary change can be exhausting. It's certainly much easier to be the inheritors of it. So besides writing an entire book about it, what, what's your wisdom to those that are facing that uphill climb of the next reformation of Christianity, if you will? Yes. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, my dear friend, uh, Valerie Kaur, who is a member of the Sikh religion. Um, and she has uh, written a, a beautiful book uh, called See No Stranger, one of my favorite books I've read in a long time. And Valerie uses an image from childbirth, and she talks about that we need to breathe and push, that we're in labor, we're giving birth to a new reality, we're giving birth to a new way of being Christian, a new way of being human. Um, and in that giving birth, there comes a time where you have to push, and it's really exhausting. Uh, but anyone who's who's given birth or witnessed a birth knows that a, a gifted doula or midwife or uh, uh, medical personnel who are assisting someone who's delivering, they, they remind them in between contractions to rest and breathe. And we have to learn how to rest and breathe. Of course, this is this is really the ancient biblical pattern of work and Sabbath, of work and rest. So we have to find those things that help us recharge, breathe, uh, be human. I, I remember my friend Rob Bell said some years ago um, that, that Christians need to learn to smoke what they're selling. Now, some people probably didn't understand that, uh, that image real quickly, but the idea is that if you're claiming to be an advocate of the abundant life uh, that Jesus Christ uh, taught and preached and presented, um, that you have to make sure you're not just proclaiming it and trying to promote it. You also have to enjoy it. And that's, I think, one of our great needs in, in stressful times like, like these. Um, the African philosopher Bio Akamalofe says uh, that where the times are urgent, we have to go slow, meaning you can get into a panic in these times and never take time to breathe. You can just keep pushing and pushing and never breathe. So that's what I would say. Um, we need that restorative rhythm in our lives. To some degree, Christianity needs institutionalization uh, to help leverage transforming work um, into sustainability. And to another degree, Christianity's institutionalization has led to many toxic legacies, both past and present, that the faithful are dealing with today. But to a certain extent, you know, the emergent movement of the last few decades um, has shook off the burden of unhealthy institutionalization to discover something new. There's um, been this sense of ongoing transformation. But at times, it feels like a lack of institutionalism has prevented a greater reach of this movement. Um, so to a certain regards, you know, like sticking it to the man has, has been an amazing transformative moment, but to a certain extent, it feels like a, a lack of institutionalization hasn't quite shaped and formed this thing that could amplify and become something more. So on one hand, what are, what are some healthy ways that this movement of people, which you have been so much at the center of, could use some healthy institutionalization? You know, um, Andy, your question, I think is so insightful and your kind of, your way of framing this is so helpful. 
because uh, I agree with you, institutions are absolutely necessary for anything that's going to last more than one lifetime. In one lifetime, uh, maybe, well, first, every one of us is dependent on so many institutions. When they're working well, they're virtually invisible to us. Institutions are important. Education, healthcare, government, uh, engineering, all of these institutions, they just keep us going. Um, what's happened in our, in, in our religious institutions, though, is that for reasons I really try to grapple with in this book, uh, our institutions have carried along with them not only the treasures of our founder and the treasures of our heritage, of our lineage, but they've also carried along some toxins. And those toxins in many ways are so contradictory to the, our core message that they leave us with this kind of identity crisis. And I think this, this is why this moment is so important and so difficult. Uh, we're trying to leach out the, the toxins and we're trying to identify them and face them. And then that's going to invite us to redesign our institutions in, in ways that, are, that, that will carry us forward. One of the ones that Jesus talked about that I think to many people sounded like one of his most extreme statements, but when you face some of these institutional realities, you realize, no, this is not a, an extreme statement. This is a statement of fact. He, he talked about the danger of money. He said, in, in more than one place, but in one place, especially aptly, he said, you're either going to love God and hate money or hate God and love money. In other words, he, he was deeply aware of how money teaches us to value things in a certain way that can put us at odds with the way God values things. And so I think one of our great challenges is that we have to take money seriously as Jesus did but without letting it become uh, 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 toxic in the way it affects our values. And that, that's one of our great challenges in, in institutions going forward. Let's look even apart from church. Uh, education has become so important. Higher education has become so important. And, um, and it's so important that its value goes up and its cost goes up. And as its cost goes up, then only the rich are allowed to keep gaining its benefits. And so suddenly this institution that's brought so much benefit to people, now in a sense, its success becomes its own great threat. And so this calls us for creative thinking about how, to, how in education to make education more available uh, to more people and especially the people who it would help the most. Um, and I feel in the church, this one of our greatest questions we have to ask is how can we create a financial model for sustainable congregations that will work in, in today's world uh, where uh, the relative uh, economic challenges of real estate and the internet and all the rest now are, are all in play. And COVID-19 has intensified uh, both our learning in this regard and our, our struggles in this regard. Um, we've, we're facing it in relation to seminaries where uh, we have, because of um, 
the sh shrinkage of many of our churches and many of our denominations, we have excess capacity in seminaries, which now be mean that many of our seminaries are facing real financial struggle. But we have never lived at a time when, when seminary level education was more important. Uh, we need people learning more. So how can we multiply learning, uh, making it available to more and more people? So those would be some examples, I think, of this, of just the wisdom of your question. It's, this is no time for people to throw out institutions, but it's a time for us to have to say, how do we get to their essential function and, and re, reappraise that, that great value? You wrote, some forms of Christianity will remain desperately loyal to the old machinery, thinking as good as it gets. Other forms of Christianity will seek to repair the harm of the old machinery has done and participate in the building of a new way of life that is truly regenerative. You know, for those listening um, to this, that my maybe are, are pastoring local congregations, you know, for those that are leaving the dominant form of Christianity for something altogether different, it can feel like um, to outsiders, these people are abandoning their faith. There's also great anxiety around the future of what, it, uh, you know, what is known about Christianity in its existing form, both institutionally and doctrinally. But what life-giving ways are you seeing people who have left one tradition to discover something new? Uh, what kind of work are you seeing? What new ways are you seeing the church formed? Yes. So I think we're at a time where all of the above is, uh, uh, all options are, are on the table and all of the above is happening. Um, I think uh, there, first of all, I think there are mega churches that are doing remarkable and great work right now. Um, and then there are other mega churches that are going right off the rails. I think there are traditional sized congregations of a couple hundred people or a hundred people that are saying that they're realizing how important they are. And we have creative pastors doing beautiful things. Uh, and, and it's often in unlikely places, uh, but, but it's happening. So anybody who wants to write off and say, oh, the church is dead. No, they just aren't getting out enough. Or they're only listening to the news and they're not seeing real congregations doing valuable work. But there are people who live in many, many parts of our country and they cannot find a church where they can be welcome and be who they are. Um, and that could mean for reasons like uh, sexual identity, for example, sexual orientation, but it can also be what we talked about earlier. They're in stage three, they're doing some deep questioning, necessary questioning, or they're uh, in stage four harmony, and they're seeing things in fresh and bigger perspectives. Um, and there's just no place that wants them. They're seen as a, a problem. And so what those people are doing is rediscovering what Jesus talked about, uh, wherever two or three are gathered in my name. And they find a couple of people. They meet around a dinner table. They, they have an online group. Um, so all of these things are happening. And I think this invites us then to say that what we call the gospel, what we call the way of Jesus, what we call the life of being a disciple or a lifelong learner in the way of Jesus, it, it's continuing and, and it's happening in all different ways. Um, and it, it used to be carried in only one kind of institutional container, but now it's spilling over into many different containers. Um, I, I think that uh, 
that in this time right now, uh, it, that can look chaotic and a little disturbing. And maybe it'll be a little less chaotic five or 25 years down the road. But um, when you ask, where do I see those kind of signs of vitality? I'll just say they're spilling out all over and it is a little bit chaotic, but I'm glad for that, that vitality, that spiritual life, wherever, uh, wherever it's taking root. You know, I'm thinking about pastors and clergy and ministry friends that are listening to this, that there is certainly a temptation to maintain the predominant form of Christianity. Um, because what's on the other side seems so uncertain, right? You know, when if there's not an institutional church that comes with a guaranteed salary and, and benefits and providing for your family, um, the alternative kind of can seem very tempting, if you will. You know, yeah. so what, what's your advice for ministers that are listening to this that have these theological convictions that want to nurture their congregations to see um, and work through a lot of the concepts that you've covered in this book? but also have that great fear of what does that mean for my longevity uh, in this, in this vocational calling? Yeah. Um, Andy, you know, that's, that's a very, very personal question for that a whole lot of people are asking. Um, I wish I could offer a simple way through it or a simple end run around it. Um, I was a pastor for 24 years, and I was fortunate enough that I was in a congregation that we had a critical mass of people that said, Brian, the questions you're asking, we're asking too. And they gave me permission to be who I was and where I was. Um, it meant that some people left. They were not comfortable with that. They were not at that place, but a critical mass of the people were. So one thing I'd say is we might be, have to be willing to say for us to do the unique work that we could do moving forward, we have to be willing to let some people go somewhere else. I'm gonna speak very frankly. I think one of the biggest religious forces in America today is Fox News and other websites and, and uh, podcasts and so on, but that have that sort of Fox News identity. And there are a number of people that if, if their church were to be out of sync with Fox News, they would rather leave their church and find a church that is in sync with Fox News. I think we have to let that happen. If that's what people want, let them go. Let them find that place. Because we need some people who are willing to let the gospel not be limited by Fox News or any other um, political, economic, cultural force. Um, and, and I think there are probably some pastors who could say, listen, I'm going to keep preaching at my, you know, 10 a.m. service or 11 a.m. service. We're going to keep that going the way it is. But I know there's 20% or 30% of the people in this church that they can't stand that anymore. And so we're going to have to create another venue for them. Maybe it's on Thursday night, we're going to get together in some other setting. Um, but I think there are ways that pastors can can do that. And that's not a lack of integrity. It's, it's a realization that there are different people at, in very, very different places. Um, and, and they're going to find ways, and hopefully their leadership will support them to find ways to serve and help these, um, these, these different people. Um, maybe one way to say it is that 
to have gifted, trained, experienced clergy, um, they need to, in a sense, own their freedom to minister to one group of people in one way and to minister to another group of people in another way. And I, I think there will be ways for us to, to uh, there'll be a lot of ways for us to pull through this challenge, especially challenging time now, if, if people can seize that freedom and, um, and be willing to let people sort themselves out uh, as they will. What's your hope for those reading this book? Well, uh, I think, you know, it's been said by many different people, the same insight that in many ways we read and we write to know that we're not alone. Um, very often we're in a social setting where we can't say what we really think. And, uh, and we only find someone who helps us in our own thinking in the privacy of reading a book. Um, I think podcasts increasingly uh, serve that, that function and audiobooks obviously fill, fill that function. Um, we, we have an internal dialogue that's going on and we can find a, a conversation partner where it's safe to have that dialogue and a book becomes that kind of uh, conversation partner. Um, so I hope that will be the case, um, that people will know um, that they're not alone. And I hope that people will also feel that just because uh, somebody is a denominational leader or a congregational leader or uh, a radio personality or whatever, that they, aren't, they do not have the right to say what being a Christian can mean. They can say, they can, they can define what being a Christian means in their congregation or on their radio show or whatever, but that, that more and more of us can own our freedom uh, before God to say, I am following Jesus. I therefore will take the name Christian. I, I'm, I'm not perfect, but in my own life and the integrity of my heart, I'm seeking to follow the way of Christ. And, um, and it's okay for me to not conform uh, to the requirements that this or that uh, personal organization sets up. Our guest is Brian McLaren. The book is Do I Stay Christian? Learn more about Brian's work at brianmclaren.net. Brian, it's always humbling to talk with you. Thank you for continuing to write and lead with great transparency, inviting all of us to walk forward with humility and openness. Thanks, as always, for uh, asking such great questions and for the work you do in creating space for people to think and learn and grow. Thanks, Andy. Before we wrap up our episode, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK is excited to once again be sponsoring CBF's upcoming General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. Stop by our booth in the exhibit hall. Join us as we honor our 2022 Addie David Award recipient at Baptist Women in Ministries Gathering or attend the workshop being led by Reverend Erica Whitaker, BSK's Associate Director for Institute for Black Studies. We'd love to connect with you at this special event. Learn more about BSK at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. 
Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 